of the East were from Richmond to Arlington. So how many years? Okay. How many years was CC? Huh? How many, okay. how many years was CC? 15. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm filling in for Michael Dybeck. He's on a, on a business trip in Florida. So um, this, is, you know, the, this is my first time chairing a meeting. So I have Pat next to me to kick me under the table if I do anything wrong. Um, so we would like to start off by calling the meeting to order. And the first thing we have is public comment. So I'd like to open up the um, podium to anybody in the public that would like to make a comment. And looks like we don't have any public comments. Okay. We just have staff here, so. <laughs> yep. Okay, great. Um, so the next item, number three, is the director's report. So, Max. Well, good afternoon, uh, committee members. Max Corton, director of Marin County Parks. Um, I'm going to keep this pretty brief because we sort of have a giant, really cool report for you with a whole bunch of our staff that are going to talk about uh, a lot of the projects and programs that we've completed this year. But one thing that's not on there that I wanted to give you an update about is the San Geronimo Golf Course, um, which our board had entered into a purchase and sale agreement with the Trust for Public Land to acquire uh, November 14th of last year, 2017. Uh, the Trust for Public Land closed escrow and took on ownership in January of 2018. We uh, took on a lease to manage that property in January of this year and then uh, put out an RFP for a golf course operator and uh, found a suitable operator in Touchstone who uh, entered into an agreement with the county in March of 2018 and has been operating the site since then. Uh, and um, we, uh, the county was sued and uh, um, the petition was granted uh, to the petitioners in that lawsuit. And so we are working right now to comply with the judge's ruling on that, which uh, the next step will be on November 13th we're gonna bring an um, item to our board rescinding the resolution that authorized the purchase and sale agreement with the Trust for Public Land. Um, and essentially the lease will expire at the end of this calendar year and the, uh, the touchstone agreement also will end at the end of the calendar year. The Trust for Public Land will continue to be the owner of the property but the county will no longer have a role uh, in regards to the, the property. So what is the plan for the trust? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think uh, the county and the trust for public land had a sense that this might be the ruling. Of course, we're disappointed in the judge's ruling, but um, uh, when the preliminary injunction was granted, and so uh, I think the trust for public land has been uh, exploring potential options, um, but. I'm not aware of what those are at this point. Go ahead, Pat. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I, th I think the whole thing's quite unfortunate. The uh, uh, the group that sued, I think, had a, they had there ostensibly they wanted to keep the golf course, and yet 
the only option that was available for the golf course was for the county to operate it and uh, touchstone from everything I've heard has done a remarkably good job uh, and uh, you know what the fact that people can participate in a public process to determine the the uh, planning outcome of that property meant that was really the only public option that uh, people had to retain a golf course uh, or to retain maybe half, nine holes of a golf course, who knows. But um, by a lawsuit forcing the county to withdraw from the acquisition, uh, the result is this back in private hands. And we know that the former operator could, could not make, could not turn a profit. And golf courses have difficulties in the modern era turning a profit. And so no one knows what the eventual outcome of that property is going to be, what the eventual status is going to be. But one thing's for sure, a public golf course is, not, is no longer in the cards, and the ability of the public to participate in the planning process to determine the outcome is also not in the cards. So personally, I feel very uh, unhappy with those people that, um, uh, that filed the lawsuit and, those, and chose not to work with the county. But I don't really have a lot of opinions about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Roger? Um, I, I would echo Pat's comments and also say that I think the county was realistic about estimating what the cost would be of complying with the secret ruling. Um, I, I'm a recovering consultant, consultant that used to work in CEQA. I don't agree with the judge's ruling of the interpretation of CEQA. It, it means that you have to have your policy, your project completely planned. Um, and usually with a CEQA project, you just have to get a discretionary permit to trigger CEQA, so I don't agree with the judge's ruling, but of course the judge is the final decider of that. But I think the county was realistic in saying that uh, it would take probably about a million dollars. I don't think that was a, any exaggeration yeah. of what um, the, the the best case scenario would be. I say best case scenario because the the reality is that there would probably be lawsuits as well, mm -hmm. which would then increase the cost for the public. So I think that the, the, the county acted in a pr prudent and correct way. Yeah. I also agree with that comment. Excellent comment. Chair, one additional item under the director's report, and that's that um, Jerry Gauze resigned from the committee. Uh, and I just wanted to acknowledge him by saying that he actually went above and beyond in really getting into the details of the farmland preservation program. He specifically sat on the seat that represented that program and w was sort of intended to investigate and report out on um, that program and its business. So he did a great job. He resigned for personal reasons, um, but he expressed in his email um, support for all the work you're doing and appreciation for working with you, as well as uh, hope that we'll renew Measure A in the future. So. Great. Well, tell him we feel the same about him. He made a contribution. Thank you. Have anything you'd like to add, Paul? Or? 
Um, so one of the things that leads me, the question that I'm wondering about is the CEQA thing, how that impacts other projects. Because my understanding is that the, um, the bike trail on Camino Alto, I'm forgetting the name of it, not Maybach. Um, on Camino Alto, the, you mean the Bob Middaw Trail? The Bob Middaw Trail, yeah. yes. That that was also similar <coughs> that somebody sued us for not having a CEQA evaluation and that's why that's this is going to become a regular stumbling block? Um, I, I think the, well, I, I guess, I think the two are pretty different. Okay. Um, I, I think CEQA is an opportunity that people can file a lawsuit on a project. So they have that in common. Um, but uh, but I, th I think the two are, are relatively uh, different. I, I do think that, um, you know, in terms of the San Geronimo uh, case, that, you know, I think it's something that we're very um, interested in thinking about uh, is, you know, this is, th these exemptions are how uh, land is acquired across the state from la by land trusts, public agencies. Um, this is how land is protected is that uh, property negotiations need to happen relatively quickly for uh, agencies and land trusts to be in a position to acquire uh, land and uh, that planning processes take a long time. And so that's one of the reasons that there's an exemption for acquiring land for uh, park uses and restoration. And so I think it's something that, um, you know, we're carefully sort of considering what the next steps are because I think, it, you know, it, it's, um, if, if it were the case that, that uh, potential uses of property had to be planned uh, prior to acquiring that property, uh, as it seems is the case in, in, this, in this case, um, that would very much change the landscape of land conservation across the state. Um, so I, I think that is of concern and interest. Um, in terms of the, uh, the Bob Middaw case, mm -hmm. um, the county is appealing that ruling. Uh, and, um, you know, in, in the specifics of the case, it's probably more than uh, we have time to okay. get into here, but, um, yeah. Okay. Is there anything else in your report that you had for us? Uh, that's it for this report. You know, the next item is is uh, welcoming uh, Jeff Williams to the committee, um, and you know, I just wanted to put my put it out there. Welcome and thank you for joining the committee. Great. Well, that is our next item of the agenda. So um, I'd like to introduce Jeff Williams. So uh, Jeff is was born and raised in Connecticut and graduated from Wesley University in Middletown, Connecticut and also went to Tufts University of Veterinary Medicine in Massachusetts. And he worked in private practice in New Hampshire uh, before moving to Marin County and was also uh, worked for the Guide Dogs for the Blind for many years, what, for? Eight or nine years? 12, 12 years. Um, and since then has gone into um, his private practice in Novato. And if you would like to explain to us what it is that brought you to us. Thank you. Um, like I said, I moved here in early 90s. I uh, was living in New Hampshire at the time. And um, 
the, the first thing that struck me about Marin County was the open space. And um, one of the first things I did when I moved to this county was I went to this very building and you can get maps of all the open space properties. And I did that. And I think in the last 25 years, I've either hiked, run, or mountain bike most of them. Um, uh, I live in Woodacre. Now I've lived there for 12 years with my wife um, and my eight-year-old son. Um, I don't trail run as much as I used to because my knees are falling apart, but I do hike and mountain bike on a regular basis in the county and out of the county. Um, it's my first uh, public position. You know, I think owning a business, I, I feel I have more ownership in the county and with my spare, I have a little more spare time than I used to and so I thought it was time to give back and this seemed like a reasonable thing for me to do. Um, and as a mountain biker, I think there's a, there's a lot of interest in Measure A, the mountain biking community. Um, and so I'm, I'm just really happy to be here and happy to help in any way I can. Thanks. Well, welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. And you've already been sworn in, I think. I have. Okay, great. I have to protect the Constitution. There you go. <laughs> okay. Well, the next item on our agenda is um, welcome, or <coughs> sorry, is election of officers. So um, currently, Michael Dybeck is a uh, uh, chair and I'm vice chair, and the period runs from November 9th to uh, November 10th of uh, this year, so we're just about to expire here. And um, Michael and I are both interested in um, assuming the same positions, unless anybody else wants to fight over it. Roger, you have any interest? Or? Okay. Is that one year for each of It's one year for each of second that. Okay. Um, so we need to have a motion. So we have a motion for all the ayes. Aye. Aye. Any nays? And any abstaining? Okay. So we'll roll on for another year. Um, the next item is to approve the meeting minutes from last February. And that's also an action item. So hopefully everyone has read the meeting minutes and if anybody has any objections or comments, Roger? Yes, I do have a comment about um, not so much the content but the way votes are recorded. Um, the way votes are recorded is that the person who makes the motion and seconds the motion, um, it's assumed in the minutes that they also favor the motion. Um, and I think that that's incorrect because it assumes that when there's a discussion on a motion that the person who, the, the mover and seconder, um, w won't ever change their position. And I think, I think it's quite, quite proper to say that, that um, I've been on boards where I make a motion that I'm in favor of, I hear a discussion, and then after the discussion, I say, well, maybe it, I, the motion's already on the table, so we have to vote it up or down, but I'm changing my position from supporting it to opposing it. So I, I would ask that in the future our minutes reflect um, the, the complete vote rather than assuming the, the vote of the people who make the motion in a second. Okay. Well, that sounds like we're just a clarification with Carla, so going forward we'll just list who was motioned, who second, and then we'll list all the ayes and all the nays going forward. Okay. So with that said, uh, is there a motion to approve uh, the minutes from... 
you could say motion, you know, made, second, and unanimous. If everybody votes for it, you could just put unanimous. You don't have to list everybody. So you don't need list if there's split votes. Or an abstention or absence, but if everyone's present, you know, then you could say unanimous if they all vote. So the only person that's absent is Michael, because Jeff is taking. Um, uh, I forgot what his name already. Michael and Jerry are both absent. Okay, so Jerry is still, and we'll have to fly his seat. Okay, okay, through the board office. Okay. So back to the. I so move that the minutes be approved. Okay. Do we have a second? I second. Okay. Um, so, all those in favor, aye. 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 Okay. So Bob's going to abstain. Um, and anybody? Any nice nays? Okay. Sounds like we have three abstain. So the next item is um, agenda here. Is the update on the work by Measure Ace um, subrecipients, and I take it you're going to cover that, Kevin. Thanks, Chair. In fact, I'll invite Jeff Stump from all up here in just a moment okay. to present on the Farmland Preservation Program. They've done a lot of excellent work this last year and spent a lot of money. Before that, uh, last year we had a number of speakers present from our different subrecipients. And one thing that your committee asked for were some high-level numbers to kind of give you an idea of where things are at. So I want to be clear, these are unaudited numbers, but these are intended to give you an idea about where each program is at financially. Um, and to begin with the Cities and Towns program, uh, again, these are examples. Last year, uh, almost $2 million was dispersed to all the Cities, Towns, Special Districts. And to date, from the start of Measure A, around $9.35 million um, through the first half of this year has been dispersed to local governments. Um, on average, you know, around $1.4 million is being spent out by all the cities and towns. Um, that can fluctuate widely depending on the projects they're working on. Um, but as of two years ago, and again, there's a delay in when we receive the expenditure reports, so there's, you know, about a two-year delay in this program. They spent a total of around $4.47 million. Um, Last year, or actually two years ago, uh, they brought in a total of $422,000 in matching funding to match, uh, you know, roughly like a million, million and a half dollars of Measure A funding. So that's a pretty good match. For the community grant program, uh, the total granted this last year was $138,501, and the total granted to date is $543,703. Uh, that's over a uh, four-year period or four years of grants. Um, the the total served in the last year, so the total number of people served, was 5,664, and there were 336 trips led through all these different grantees. So um, that program's providing a lot of impact. The estimate for the entire four years is actually 14,839 people, 889 trips in total. And that includes uh, over 2,500 first-time visits to a specific park or preserve. So a lot of folks getting out there for the first time in that program. And then 
Finally, the farmland preservation program has two different aspects, and one is the Marin RCD, the Resource Conservation District, uh, and then there's Jeff's program, um, you know, malt in the agricultural. Yeah, Jeff. We give Jeff a lot of money. Right. <laughs> um, and in fact, the RCD and malt work hand in hand on uh, local stewardship of farmland, and Jeff will talk a little bit about that. But essentially, you know, in any given year, the RCD receives about $130,000. Um, to date, they've received about $633,000. Um, they, again, you know, spend sort of a range, but for instance, last year, it looks like they spent about $66,000, and to date, around $350,000 in restoration activities. They, um, similar to Malt, bring in an incredible amount of matching funds to match Measure A dollars, and for instance, in 1718, it looked like they matched Measure A funding with about $430,000 in outside funding. Um, just a quick overview of the uh, farmland program. In 1718 alone, there are four grants with uh, over 2,800 acres protected. Um, there's been one grant so far in the current year, and Jeff will talk more about um, additional grants that may come up. Um, but the total grants to date, there have been 11 grants, um, over 6,200 acres protected, and a total of um, over $12 million granted out. And uh, that's been matched with over $8 million in funding. So actually, if it's 50%, over $12 million. So just doing the math. Where, where do the matches come from? That's probably part of your presentation. Right? Yeah, okay. I'll, I won't steal thunder. Similar to, you know, the RCD writes a lot of different grants and draws state and federal funding. Okay. Um, the community grantees bring a variety of um, local grants as well as um, organizational resources at the table, so it's both soft and hard match. Thanks, Jeff. Welcome. Sure. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Chairman and members of the board. I'm Jeff Stump. I'm the Director of Conservation for MALT, and I'm very happy to be here to talk about Measure A and, and our, our work with the county, and, and also <clears throat> probably talk a little bit about the RCD. Before I do that, just the first image that's up as part of my PowerPoint, I'm hoping folks are starting to see pop up around the county. This is our new uh, sign that, that is going in on malt protected properties, of course, um, acknowledging uh, the funding coming from Measure A. It's important for the public to see this. Um, <clears throat> we try and cite these signs at locations that are um, obvious to, to, to folks driving around and, and are getting a lot, of, uh, a lot of positive feedback. In fact, our <clears throat> landowners that have older malt signs uh, really like the new sign and are asking for that. Of course, they won't have Measure A, but um, we, uh, yeah, we're going to have uh, the 11th sign up um, in the next couple months, which is exciting. So, uh, quickly, I'm I'm here mainly to focus on our progress for the last fiscal year, 27, um, 2017 and 18. Um, I'm also going to forecast a little bit about our work in this next year. Going to try and characterize where our program is going. It's it's um, it's really exciting and and really the vision of of Measure A is coming um, to be and that it's really allowed MALT to accelerate our efforts to protect farmland um, and to keep pace with the growing values of, of agricultural land out there. Uh, it's a critical component. Um, we spent a number of years catching up um, to, the, to the allocations of Measure A, uh, 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 the money that's been generated by Measure A and, and uh, so I'm happy to say that we've done that, and now we're going into a phase where we need Measure A to generate some funding, um, and so we're timing our project acquisitions to, to meet that timing. 
Um, we're also, of course, going back to our normal pattern, which is uh, <clears throat> reaching out to multiple funding agencies. You know, Malta has a history over time of bringing 50% private money to the table to match grants uh, from public agencies. And Measure A, of course, did not change that. We spent at least 50% of, of, uh, of the money on these easements. Um, and uh, also um, have applications in for new programs that coming out from the state and the greenhouse gas reduction funds. So Wildlife Conservation Board has a great new program, um, the Sustainable Agricultural Land Conservation Program. So my point is we're blending. So Measure A, you know, probably is going to drive about 25% of our por portfolio as we as we work to protect Marin County farmland, which is exciting. So that's. That's a really significant local match, and, and but your dollars are stimulating a lot more um, to come into the county. So quickly, uh, Kevin mentioned last year we closed four, the acquisition of four agricultural conservation easements um, in the county, and first was in September, and then we had a, a really busy spring. Um, the Evans Giacomini Ranch near Nicasio, and I have a map to, to come up in a second. Uh, the Furlong Ranch, which is on the east shore of Tomales Bay, north of Point Reyes Station. We acquired an easement on the Taylor Dairy, or the Bianchini Ranch, which is 705 acres north of Point Reyes Station. And then on the Jim McIsaac Ranch, which is also uh, near uh, Nicasio, uh, just north of the lake. And, and hopefully you can see this. It's a little smaller on the screen than I was hoping, but in red outline of the four acquisitions this last year. Um, Malta also partnered with the Open Space District to pre protect the Louise Ranch um, this year, and that was another 1,000 acres, but that came at no cost. The county had held two separate easements on that property. The family donated a third. We amended them, wrapped them up into a modern malt easement, and, and protected that. So uh, while we are using Measure A, we continue to make really good progress in, in other means, and, and so that was an entirely donated easement. So. My point is we're not just relying on this funding source, but we're uh, bringing private um, and then some donative component to these programs. <clears throat> a little bit of funding details. Um, Kevin gave you these numbers, but we did close a total of about $13 million worth of uh, transactions last year. The major A component was just over $6.5 million. Um, in the last year, uh, malt did avail itself to the opportunity to, to match administrative costs. So you'll see a, a small line item um, in the mid-teens of thousands of dollars for each project that, that was matched by malt. And, and these are direct costs for things like appraisals and environmental site assessments, the nitty-gritty of, of how we get our job done and, and get that done correctly. Um, I think now that we're caught up um, with the, account, with the dollars, Malt will probably not um, ask for that match um, going forward. Uh, we want to put an emphasis on protecting, uh, protecting the land and, and acres. Um, so I think that will be a, a change that you're going to see. <clears throat> One of the things that's important, of course, is communicating the benefits of Measure A to the public. So any action that we take, any press release re uh, regarding our work, of course, has a nice section about Measure A. and and talking about the benefits of, of it, what it brings to our program and into the county. We also hold at least one uh, public Measure A hike where you know, Malt has lots of events that are member oriented, but annually we'll open up 
at least one of our ranches um, with our landowner partners, the host, of course, um, to the public. And this last year, we did a, a really wonderful hike on the Gallagher Ranch that Malt acquired using proceeds from Measure A um, two years ago. We also have posters and maps that we use at numerous events. I, and I'll bring this up on the slide, but I also gave you a handout um, that I'll talk about in a second. But just a quick uh, picture of, of, the, uh, of the walk. I think this was done by one, of the, one person at the very end who was sweeping, and so you don't see the, a little bit over 100 people, I think, 120 people were there, and I think uh, Craig Richardson from, the, from County Parks was here as well. Uh, but it's a really great opportunity to remind folks of the importance of Measure A uh, to our agricultural program. But it's not just about, uh, you know, bucks and acres. You know, people like to talk about acreages and dollars spent. For us, you know, we're looking at some other metrics as well because we're, we are protecting, you know, the, the best farmland in, in Marin, and we are assuring that it's going to be in, in agricultural use in perpetuity. But we're also protecting the resource values. And so this handout uh, doesn't capture our latest acquisition um, from last week, but through the first 10 farms and ranches, we've, again, protected uh, you know, about 5,400 5, acres of farmland, but 20 miles of streams. And those streams get malts, uh, creek conservation area protections. They get management plans to assure protect long-term protection. Um, we're protecting grasslands. We're protecting habitats. And then uh, Kevin mentioned the work of the RCD, and, and the Marin RCD is a very close partner with malt in, in working with landowners. And I think it was really, really uh, uh, a good move to craft a small percentage of Measure A um, out to go to the RCD to fund these projects. And so, as you can see on this, this handout, the MALT and RCD partnership has re resulted in projects with 12 landowners. I'm assuming that means one of these 10 had multiple projects. Um, you know, 1,600 uh, native plants um, were, were seeded, or native, <coughs> native plantings. Again, six miles of riparian fencing. We don't always require fencing, but when it's needed, we do. Uh, alternative water sources were installed with the landowner that helps uh, us, helps them manage grazing, so lessen impact. Uh, so it's a really neat system, and Malt does uh, grant to match Measure A. We also provide the RCD with upwards of $200,000 a year for stewardship projects on Malt-protected properties. So that's a, it's a really neat program, and, and I think it's really working. I'm gonna wind down, but just wanna give you a forecast for our, our efforts in 2018-19. Uh, the Malt Board has set a pretty ambitious goal of trying to protect 100,000 acres by 2040, and they've given our team the tools to really accelerate the pace. That means that we're gonna be trying to protect at least four properties a year, up, upwards of 2,000 acres. Um, we think that Measure A um, will likely help us fund two of those projects, as I, as I said. So. This year, we've already closed on the Milliton Creek Ranch acquisition, um, the easement acquisition. Uh, we, we owned the property and sold it, subject to an easement um, at the end of last month. And then we have a, a grant submitted for the next project, which will be the Il Marini Back Ranch, which is another 750 acres. So those are likely to be our two major projects this year. But the demand is, is there. So we have an additional six active projects on our list, and, and we have three pending applications. So. Um, I think what I want to say is that demand is there, the program's working, we're achie achieving great results on the ground and, and our efforts to protect Marin's County farmland. Um, I'm happy to answer questions. All right, any questions? No. 
Um, well, I, I have a couple. So Great. I guess what I was curious about is you mentioned that uh, so much money was spent into acquisition of new, and how much of our budget is spent on uh, maintaining what we have? And it seems like at some point you're going to get an equilibrium where it's going to cost more to take care of what we have than it is to be yeah. able to acquire more. Well, the great thing the great thing about our program is that we are acquiring an, <clears throat> an agricultural conservation easement, and of course the property stays in, in private ownership. So the landowners are responsible for maintenance and operation. In fact, they're required to be engaged in commercial productive agriculture. So that main work is, is on the landowner, and, and it's this program is, is really uh, protecting those properties um, protecting agriculture uh, a way of life, this pastoral um, area. But, um, you know, there is that 5% that goes to the RCD, and, and again, those are targeted projects that have public benefit to uh, improve natural resource values that come along with those, those projects. So while we are re uh, relying on the landowner to, to maintain and operate their land, and of course Malt has a, an easement that has an affirmative provision, so we can it's not just telling them what they can't do, it's what they have to do. So we can enforce that, and, and that's complicated. I hope we never have to. Yeah. But we're engaged with these partners who are there trying to stay and, and, and earn a living. And they're doing a really good job. But we're helping around the edges, and that's with the 5% the, the that goes to the RCD and the money that we go to match it, because we can and, and do help landowners make improvements. If I can add to Jeff's, uh, Jeff's answer there, uh, in addition to um, to Malt's uh, work with the landowner post-acquisition and with the RCD, um, Malt has also, over time, accumulated a significant endowment and continues to do that because its ability to <coughs> monitor and enforce these easements and continue to support the landowners and, and uh, carry out these natural resource projects is, in the long run, not going to be dependent on Measure A funds or privately raised funds. That's the, the purpose of the endowment, is to um, ensure that the organization has the ability to um, make sure that the easements realize their, their right. the purpose <coughs> and, and acquire. So where does the funding for the endowment come from? Um, it comes from a variety of yeah. sources, primarily um, uh, primarily bequests. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is all private money. So and and we. Have had been really lucky of having a few large donations designated to, to for stewardship, and then the, of course the board. Uh, we have a, a pretty complicated uh, calculus where we make we have to make sure every time we acquire an easement we have enough. Again, like Bob said, our job does not end in a fiscal year; it's a perpetual job. We're always going to be here to monitor and enforce these easements. So, um, anytime uh, we have a donation, a percentage, I think about 11% of that donation goes to the stewardship fund. And, and so we're up about, I think our, our board designated endowment is about a little bit over $10 million. So we, <clears throat> our staff has paid from that for stewardship and, and that's also the source of the, much of the stewardship assistance money that we're uh, um, matching to the RCD. So that process is really working and, and uh, Bob, I appreciate you pointing that out. Yeah, Jeff. Can I ask what an alternative water source is? <laughs> sure, that's a great, great question. So, you know, none of our agriculture is, is you know, we're not tied into the Central Valley or you know, the federal state water system. So we're, um, we have to use what we have. And so we work with landowners to develop uh, new, new springs on their properties. You know, we're fortunate that the geology of Marin, there's these rocky outcroppings and behind them are, are small aquifers. 
And, and so there's a lot of water sources up high. And so what we will help landowners do is um, either rebuild the spring or put in a new spring and then put in a, put in a, a, a tank up on the hill. And from that tank, you can put in some distributed water. And so the point is, is not having cattle go to one location on any given ranch every, every single day. So you're, al you're giving them alternative places and spacing them out. <clears throat> that lessens the impact on, on those resources, which are typically have been ponds, right? And so removing the trailings down to ponds. And, um, and some ranches will put in six or seven different locations. So you're spreading it out. And then that typically will come with cross fencing. And so you have additional uh, physical ability to, to get the cattle spread out on the land. And that both improves agricultural utility and production and improves the protection of the resource. How do you, I think you kind of spoke to it, but more specifically, how do you ensure that you don't have overgrazing on properties where you have um, yeah. your Well, as, as years change and, mm -hmm. and uh, rain uh, amounts change, we, we can never assure that, but we monitor annually. Um, <clears throat> we work with our landowners to, to provide technical advice and, and physical infrastructure. I mean, I can't sit here and tell you that every single malt property is sure. not overgrazed, but um, our, our staff, we, we have paid professional conservation staff that go out to, to, again, to monitor and advise the landowner to answer questions, um, to work with infrastructure. Um, we don't, you know, we don't measure. This is a, this is a more of a, a, a visual assessment, you know, compared to some others, but um, yeah, it's really that relationship, and, and that's, that's the purpose of the, of the annual visit, and it often starts around the kitchen table where we discuss the landowner's needs, and, and then our staff is trained to, to see pro, you know, problems as they, as they start to, uh, um, to happen so we can avoid them. And, and again, a lot of that is advice on, on fencing and water infrastructure. Um, but you know, the landowners is the important part of this, and, and they, they understand. I mean, I'm, I'm sure this year is gonna be troubling to them. I mean, it's November 8th, and We've had one storm event, so landowners are making decisions of, you know, based on on <clears throat> animal units. So I think you'll see people start to make some changes. Um, but they're the stewards in the land, and and we're blessed with these long-term um, families that that take their their land really seriously and 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 really act in their best interest. So we're there to help, but they're the main driver. Just further comment uh, under Bob's previous leadership and current leadership uh, with uh, Malt. Uh, he's done a remarkable job, probably premier land trust uh, in terms of ag land in the state. And uh, there's just no doubt that West Marin would look a lot different today if it wasn't for all those efforts. Well, thank you. We're, we're blessed with an amazing landowner community, an amazing partner in the county, um, and of course, excellent leadership over the years is, is a real pleasure. And it just underscores the need for Measure A, and uh, I know at some point in time we're going to revisit that because it does have an expiration date, and we want yeah. it to continue. Well, Malt, Malt is with you on that, and that's why we talk about this anytime we can as yeah. to as many people as we can, and, and, and why we like to talk about all of the success and, and the gains that we've made in protecting Marin County farmland. Yeah, appreciate um, that. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, go ahead, Max. 
Yeah, we can move on to the next. Okay, next um, agenda item. Yeah. Okay, so we're on to the update of the department work funded by Measure A for the fiscal year 2017-2018. Thank you. So uh, again, Max Corton, Director of Murray County Parks. And um, this is one of the, I think, one of the most exciting agenda items and for, the, for, the, uh, for both Roger and Pat. You know, you'll hear this again at the commission meeting uh, in a week, but I think um, it's really an amazing opportunity at the end of our busy, you know, summer construction season to hear a report out of all of the incredible work that's being done with Measure A dollars. And I think, you know, one of the exciting things about Measure A is not just this work, but the incredible team that we've been able to put together here. And we've had a, a lot of turnover with some key staff members retiring, and then additionally with some new positions being brought on. And just before these guys, before these guys get started, just to say this is an amazing team of people. There's incredible leaders, not just in the managers, but from the landscape workers to the biologists to the landscape architects. Um, all, of, all of these folks are really creative and thoughtful and um, work incredibly hard. So my hat's off to this team, and um, thank you. Great. Well, you Not. Well, good afternoon. Um, my name is Tara McIntyre. I am senior landscape architect. Uh, really excited to have this opportunity to share kind of our, I'm, um, you know, presenting for parks and, let's see, let's get to that first. There we go. Uh, parks, facilities, and landscape services. Uh, so we don't get this opportunity very often, so this is really fun. So hopefully bear with us if we go a little long-winded, but it'll be worth it, I swear. Um, so one of the first projects that uh, I want to talk about is our Adirondack chairs at McNears Beach. Um, and it's not just McNears, it's actually uh, at Stafford and at Paradise as well. But this was a, a kind of a quick and quick project that we could uh, uh, enliven our parks with some color and fun uh, using, we used uh, New York City's Bryant Park, which is known for its movable chairs, if you've never seen it. And uh, these Adirondack chairs we launched, and they are now people magnets. They are super popular. They're 100% recycled uh, plastic. Um, so we you know, tied some sustainability into there, too. And they've been a huge hit, and we're going to be putting out more. So that was kind of a fun little project uh, to engage people in our parks. This is Deer Island. Deer Island was a, or is our uh, um, visitor, uh, our naturalist team's headquarters right now. Uh, it's an amazing little building. It's historic. It's it's really architecturally cute. I'd move in in a second, as would our naturalist. Um, and in order to use this or make it more uh, usable for future meetings and potential community uh, events, um, we built a new ADA ramp, new railing, new stairs, uh, also a concrete pathway and a parking area. Uh, we still have to do some interior work uh, to bring it up to ADA fully and be compliant, um, but that's on the books for this coming season. Um, Hammock Village. This is another like really fun, exciting project uh, that we just finished at Stafford Lake Park. Uh, this is over in um, a region of our park that has really struggled maintenance-wise. Uh, everybody's there, like includes gophers and ground squirrels and um, dust and it, it's it's just been a hard part to part part of the park to uh, get people to kind of um, uh, inhabit 
Um, and so this is our new hammock village. There's 22 hammocks. Um, they are, uh, they use sustainable uh, posts from Western Cedar. So again, we're always trying to thread sustainability through our projects as best we can. Um, the labyrinth here, this is at Hal Brown Park. Uh, Hal Brown Park um, was a, this was a master plan project that was uh, started in 2010, but it wasn't until just now that we were able to finish it. Uh, it was meant to connect uh, the staff and patients of Marin General Hospital with both the park users as well. Uh, it's a, uh, um, an area of the park also that was just not, um, uh, just didn't get a lot of use. And so this is a concrete uh, pad with inlaid mosaic tiles that was also uh, themed on enlightenment and um, uh, the tiles were done. It was a collaborative effort between the LA team and a local artist uh, where it's light to dark. And then that interior panel you can see in one of the images in the lower right was part of a community build day where we had a, you know people come and it was a, uh, a really fun day. And then um, the contractors laid it in and it's, it's absolutely spectacular out there. You probably remember, may have remembered this last year. Uh, this is McGinnis Operations Facility. Um, this project just also is completed. A lot of these we may have showed last year, but they're, they're finally finished and buttoned up. Uh, this was a really important project for our staff where it was a 232 square foot, literally a tough shed. Um, and when we had the portable office delivered, that was an upgrade. Like people, they were like, this is great. When, when we finally um, finished the construction, it was doubled in the original size. Uh, we had an accessible restroom. We had upgraded electric. Um, we had a kitchenette and we had plumbing. Like there's actually a restroom in there now. So it was, uh, it really helped um, make our staff's work uh, better and uh, more effective. Another uh, piece of that project that was connected was the uh, Lagoon Operations Facility, which is a nursery um, in the back of, we also did the Lagoon Park uh, staff facility as well for landscape services. But this uh, greenhouse is part of the nursery that is our in-house uh, propagation and restoration uh, work uh, for mitigation projects in our preserves. Uh, we're also in the process of developing the site a little bit further to expand ADA. Uh, so there's outdoor classroom work um, or outdoor classrooms. There's also uh, work tables, there's a demo garden. And so it benefits both our staff and public participation. You may have seen these already. Um, you can kind of see them when you drive by uh, on your way to the Civic Center. Uh, we have been in, this is year three of a parks facilities um, uh, site furnishings replacement program. And we just recently finished replacing all of the benches around the Lagoon Park uh, pathway. Um, as you can see from the photos, they were very old. They were broken, they were cracked. They were really in tough shape. Um, so. We also had the opportunity when doing that work to create new pads and uh, companion seating for ADA. So, and we've seen people using it. It's really wonderful out there. Kind of on the theme of rehab and, and aged and decaying, uh, this is a project we also finished that you may have seen last year, but it's, it's completed where we replaced uh, the railing and the curb on the Paradise Pier 
it didn't meet, it wasn't just a decay problem, it was also a code problem where the railing wasn't tall enough um, and it didn't meet ADA. So we upgraded that. We utilized more durable and sustainable materials. Uh, it's galvanized steel with a, a really beautiful wood rail because um, it's just more comfortable and it's something we can replace over time. Uh, we also included some ADA features such as an ADA uh, customized, it's pretty spectacular, fish cleaning station. Uh, we also accommodated cutting boards along the railing so fishermen can cut their bait without hacking into this beautiful wood railing. And uh, we also have receptacles and uh, some line uh, um, collection stations for wildlife protection. Three Groves Bridge is located down in uh, um, Homestead Valley. This is a beloved bridge that had outlived its previous repairs uh, by quite a few years. We completely replaced the bridge and it's now a steel uh, beam structure. So that's gonna last for a very long time. The beams that we pulled out of there, you could literally take your fist and drive it inside the beams. I mean, it was due, so. This, this bridge is gonna last a while. Still on the theme of bridges, Stafford Lake uh, Trail um, Bridge and Head Cut Repair. This was actually primarily, uh, it was a, an opportunity to marry two projects. Uh, the, the main effort was to stabilize the um, bank erosion and a head cut issue that had evolved on, Novato, um, on, the, on a gully that led into Novato Creek and Stafford Lake. So we regraded the, the creek bed, um, provided rock armoring, and in addition, we were able to put a bridge to connect both sides of Stafford Lake Bike Park, so for both maintenance and for riders. The Regional Park Monument Signs Project. This is a project that, and this is an image of our old McNear sign, um, and maybe you've seen our new signage, which I'll show here in a second. You know, we really, all the signs were different. They were all wood, they just, there was no cohesive link between all of our properties. You wouldn't really know you were at a Marin County Parks. It's like when you go to the National Park Service or property, you know you're in a national park. There's consistency in signage and we are trying to do the same and we're, we're making great headway. Uh, so we now have these beautiful uh, concrete uh, signs that really improve, they're gonna be long lasting, but they really improve our wayfinding and um, you know our identity throughout our preserves, or excuse me, our parks, which leads me into our preserves. Uh, our sign project, um, this, this one's near and dear to my heart because I've been in it for the last two years of nonstop and uh, this is, it's a massive undertaking and maybe again, you've seen our new signage out in the preserves. This is, last year we installed, and it's not 100 signs, it's 100 entries. And some, and some places have two signs or more um, at, across 29 preserves. Currently, we're doing tertiary signs, which you see on the left. Um, it's kind of an understated little for entries that aren't as popular, um, but it has our rules and regulations um, as well as wayfinding posts. We are going to be rolling those out to about 95 locations. So we're making a lot of headway in this project. And again, this is also important to creating a visually cohesive link between all our preserves and, and importantly, wayfinding and visitor um, enjoyment and safety, as well as rules and regulations for um, our enforcement. The Spirit Nest, if you didn't get a chance to see this, um, was really spectacular. It was a uh, 
we call it a human scaled sculpture, um, which was really a collaboration between art, uh, fire fuel management, invasive species, education and community engagement. And we were able to basically upcycle fire fuel uh, materials to create a piece of public art um, with the help of an artist, the community, and our staff. Uh, the, it took place on Lagoon Island, and uh, if you, again, it, it engaged people. It was really amazing how many people came out to be part of that. And um, the best part, you know, it really drew people outdoors, and, and especially people who've never used our parks before. Uh, it also created lots of Instagrammable moments. I mean, I'd love to know how many photos were taken of selfies in front of that. It was really wonderful. And so now it's been moved to Stafford Lake, and so it resides there until spring. So if you haven't seen it, I invite you to go visit. The last uh, program I want to talk about and project that we completed was, um, this, is, this is kind of a, a, a project um, internally where we uh, have been trying to transform our donation program. And this is highlighted by our dedication tree program. And Carla has some handouts that she'll pass along. Just This is from what we handed out to our the people who visited or in, uh, at the, the event. And uh, this is a yearly event meant to celebrate people, pets, and place. Uh, donors receive a keepsake, that, in, and that you can see those in the, on the left-hand side of the screen. There's a certificate. Um, there is a limited art print, which uh, if you also haven't seen, our, this was last year's, and this is a sneak peek at this year's. We, have a, we engage uh, an artist, a different artist every year, so we'll have a collection of those. Um, and we'll be celebrating again uh, next year. And this year we had over 40 donors and many more people who came out and celebrate. And the tree is planted out at the, uh, by the Cascade Fountains in that little plaza that you see right next to the, to the fountains. Um, so that, that kind of presents a nice segue to our programs. Because our programs here at the Civic Center, which those last two, the Spirit Nest and the Tedication Tree Program uh, were, uh, wouldn't have been possible without our amazing landscape services uh, staff here at the Civic Center. You know, they really played an instrumental step in those projects as well as so many other things that they do. Um, and I'm going to let Don talk about that. And so with that, I'm going to introduce Don Gallerani. Our, oh, here, here you go, here you go. Hi, I'm Don Gallerani, uh, landscape supervisor. I manage the whole entire campus here with my staff of uh, four full-time staff members. Uh, we maintain the, also the interior planting in the building, and we have an extensive uh, IPM program where we physically pull every weed and mow all the turfs and, you know, uh, and power wash the islands and wash the pathways and keep the place, trying to keep the place sparkling clean. You probably see me out there on a mower or a tractor or the s street sweeper. We also uh, prepare for the all the events that you prepare and, re and repair, all the events you see. And uh, the uh, fair being the biggest event as of on 4th of July, we had over 50,000 people out there, you know. And we're also very thankful for our new, we have a new landscape building too that uh, doesn't leak, has heat, has bathrooms. It's a phenomenal thing for us to have out there. I'd like to thank you for all that. You, you, you do a fantastic job. Thank you so much. Incredible. We love the park. All right. Well, 
Well, thank you. With that, we're going to turn it over to the next uh, team for present for road and trail management. Good afternoon, commissioners. I'm John Campo, senior natural resource planner. And um, Brian, you want to? Uh, Brian Sanford, superintendent, uh, operations and maintenance. So Brian and I worked together on the road and trail management plan. And um, I just wanted to take a minute to highlight some of the things that we've worked on this past year. So the, I'd say this is our third year of implementation for the RTMP. And I'd say the, the process has evolved and changed. And one of the, the key components of that evolution is the community outreach and engagement. We've really taken it to another level now where we're, we're spending a tremendous effort um, meeting with different recreation communities, environmental community, um, equestrian, cyclists, trying to um, really get a sense of their interests and how we can achieve the goals of RTMP with that kind of community focus in mind. Um, we've done lots of site visits. We've had office meetings. And this group right here in this photo, this is the Environmental Roundtable, which is a group that have convened specifically to help us evaluate our projects. And not at the 11th hour, but right at the beginning, right when they're just a thought, and go through these projects and, and help meet those goals, which are to improve the visitor experience, um, create a sustainable road and trail network, and reduce the footprint, the environmental footprint of the road and trail, um, road and trail themselves. So through this process of feedback and discussion, I feel like in the end what, what's happening is we're developing better, sounder projects and the community is aware and have bought into them and it's, um, it's, the process has become more fruitful. Um, so just to give you a sense of some of the individual projects we worked on this year, this is a, a regional project which is the Region 5 Road and Trail designation map which Region 5 is actually this area. It's Terra Linda Preserve, San Pedro Mountain, and a couple other smaller ones. Um, this, this is a process where we have a public meeting. It was August 25th. It's to, to lay the planning document, the kind of the foundation map of what roads and trails we're going to adopt into the system and which ones are we not going to propose for adoption. And so we, we had this public meeting at the, um, is at the MC, MC Suites. We've received lots of feedback and we're in the process of evaluating that. We'll update this document soon. And then just to get into some of the site-specific projects, this is Altable Preserve. And so this project, let's see if I can activate the mouse, I can't. So um, the red line is the old gas line trail. And so that was a connection between Horse Hill Preserve and Altable Preserve. It was actually designed, oh, thanks. It was actually designed on an old gas line utility, so not built for recreational purposes or sustainability. And so we decommissioned that. And then we um, built a new trail, which is the yellow one on the map. And I have some photos here. Oops. And so the photo on the left, that's um, what the old gas line trail used to look like. And the upper right is that decommissioned. And the bottom right is the new Horse Hill Trail. So that's the new connection, which is a much more gentle grade. It's sustainable. 
Um, it, was very, it was thoughtfully designed versus um, following an old gas line utility. Also in the Althabal Preserve is um, the Althabal Fire Road itself. So when we have fire roads on our maps, um, I want to make sure that the fire department knows those roads are accessible and that they're drivable. And this one was not in a condition where we had a high level of confidence. Um, you see that photo on the left. The, the road was actually blowing out. There was a failed culvert. Um, and the photo on the right is that that road repaired, and so that's the, it was actually a, a bigger job than we uh, initially thought, but it, it's now it's a sustainable fix, and it's an important connection for the community at the end of Coach Road and Sausalito Road for emergency access. This is a project at Loma Alta Preserve, which is the, um, it's a fairly popular recreational trail. It's called the Old Railroad Grade, and it's popular with all users, equestrians, hikers, cyclists. Um, two years ago, we had that big series of winter storms, and it caused a lot of damage on this trail. And there were five creek interfaces with the trail that had significant blowouts. So you see the photo on the left <coughs> is representative of that, and on the right is um, one of the repairs. Um, this project, uh, the crews, are they still out there? Oh, they're just finishing up today. Yeah, you know, so today they'll be wrapping up. So it, um, Again, it's really popular, well-used trail, so it's been really appreciated by the public. Here's another um, um, fire road improvement project. So Conifer Fire Road is in Gary Giacomini in West Marin, and this road is uh, right above the county fire department. This is an important road for the county fire department. And, and also, I should mention that I check in on a regular basis with county fire to, we talk about roads, which ones are important to them, and which how can we meet our goals together and make improvements to the ones that make sense in a prioritized manner? And so this is one of the ones that um, we wanted to address sooner than later. It had um, some serious drainage issues. Um, in, in addition to emergency access, it's also very popular recreationally for equestrians, bikes, hikers. So um, this was also a big improvement. Just to go north, this is at Mount Burdell uh, Preserve. This is um, a project that we're actually hoping to get started on fairly soon. Um, this is the Eagle Rim Trail. So this was part of the Region 4 map and designation where we chose to adopt this trail, uh, make improvements to it, uh, make it more sustainable, and then also meeting the other goals, reduce social trails. So this, ha this adoption project includes three social trail decommissions or, or segments of trails. Uh, this is a, a trail that connects folks to the top of the summit. Um, and the Ponte Ridge project, so we actually released the project description for this just yesterday. Um, this is in uh, the Marinwood area, Pacheco Valley Preserve. And um, this is a really exciting project. It's looking at an old road that's not used by the fire department. Um, it's not strategically valuable to the fire department. Um, it, the road is on part of our property, part of Marinwood CSD's property, and they weren't really maintaining it. And so we're actually looking at removing that road, creating a multi-use trail in its place. And, um, you know, it, it's just a really exciting project. And I think it's a rare opportunity um, to create something that meets all the goals for the RTMP 
in such a, um, I, I just feel like this is going to be a grand project in, in a lot of ways. So we're excited to see this one develop. How, how long is it? <laughs> the, the, the proposed trail, it has different segments. So the, the combined total is 3.7 miles. And so that combines using some existing sections of fire road that the fire department does want us to keep, and that includes realigning old sections of road and then creating a new connector trail, which would connect to the, if you're familiar with it, um, Pacheco Pathway, which is a paved multi-use path that parallels 101. This would actually connect to that. Hmm. So have a nice egress that wouldn't be disruptive to the neighborhoods. Um, so it's a really neat project. And then finally, um, Roy's Redwoods is a partnership with the Golden Gate uh, Parks Conservancy, where we're looking at kind of overall resiliency of this area in Roy's Redwoods, which is a really popular preserve. And it's, I don't want to say it's been loved to death, but it has some, some issues that we want to look at. Um, the hydrology has some issues, and um, the creeks are channelizing and incising, and that will lower the water table of that preserve, which can in result affect the resiliency of the redwood forest, which is one of four old growth redwood forests in Marin. Um, so we're looking at how do we improve the hydrology, which will then improve the resiliency of the redwood forest, and how do we improve the access. Uh, right now that, that area is just kind of a spiderweb social trail, so we want to kind of define more of a an act, a standard access route for people to take. Um, that was all the slides I had. Do you guys have questions? Wow. Oh, okay. 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 Joe, I, I did have a question. Yes, please, Roger. So, well, thank, thank you for that prese presentation. Very good, wonderful work. Um, just, just one question. Um, that, that has to do with our aging constituency. I, I kind of resemble that remark. Um, <laughs> Great work making things more accessible. Part of accessibility is besides the trails is um, out, uh, bathroom facilities and benches. It sounds like we're getting them with Measure A in the parks, um, but in the open space, what's the, the plans for that? I think Max, are you walking over to answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we can have more sort of conversation and questions at the end too. It might be good, but I think. Uh, in our inclusive access plan, we identified um, a number of uh, discovery trails, mm -hmm. you know, flatter trails that were um, better suited to all ability levels um, in the open space preserves. And one of the things that was identified with that was um, the idea of having bench locations adjacent to those trails. Traditionally, we haven't had uh, developed benches or restrooms or anything, or even parking uh, on our open space trails. but. Um, we identified those as places where we could develop that. And so the first, actually the first two uh, locations where we're developing uh, these discovery paths, uh, one, it, the first one was at Agate Beach and that one's been completed. Um, and uh, it was to put a more accessible pathway of travel, a bench out there and some other improvements. The second one that we're working on um, planning is at uh, White House Pool. Uh, and then I think the third one is uh, Indian Valley, the fire road um, that goes there between the, the campus and uh, Indian Valley Road. Um, and so that would be an open space uh, trail um, or fire road. 
So that's sort of how we're approaching that issue. But at Roy's Redwoods, you know, it's a great question and something that we're looking at is, you know, the location of that porta potty there at Roy's is um, not entirely desirable. And um, so it's one of the things we're evaluating. If I could just add to that, you know, with all these trail projects, we, we try and evaluate them for inclusiveness. So we, we look at that component and how, how compliant can we be with our IAP document? In some cases, even though they haven't, the projects may not have been identified as one of mm -hmm. the seven in that document, we're, we're still able to meet full compliance with it. So we'll be likely adding to that list and making um, more accessible trails. Right, and I should add that the county has made some really good moves in that direction that we, ha we now have monthly senior works and, and a handout on, on places that are friendly to people with limited um, mobility and seniors. Um, I, I think that that's a, an important direction to right. keep on going and understanding the need of that constituency because these are the people that they're increasing in numbers and they support the parks and we need to support them. John and Brian. Good afternoon. My name is Ian McClurg. I'm the chief park ranger for the central region, and this is. I'm Samantha Hamovich. I'm the superintendent of the north and west regions, and I'm also the chair of our equity committee for parks. And uh, Sam and I are going to talk a little bit today about um, uh, public engagement and equity. And uh, we're both working on kind of folding equity initiatives into every aspect of how our staff is engaging the public. So. All right, so um, communication and visitor <laughs> services. So our programming includes numerous ways in which we connect with visitors in our parks and open space reserves. We communicate and engage the public using a variety of different methods. Um, we're working on improving our website currently. Our website's a great way for us to um, be more interactive and more user-friendly in engaging the public. Uh, we use social media networks. Um, Nextdoor has been excellent in connecting directly with our local neighborhoods. Instagram, we kind of post about current events, what we're doing, what we've done, what we find in our parks and preserves. Um, Facebook, so upcoming recruitments. We've been trying to get seasonal ha uh, staff and, um, and also just our, our regular hire staff involved in seeing recruitments on Facebook and online. We update about projects, things like that. Twitter, um, kind of we talk about our, our outreach efforts in terms of, uh, uh, you know, also sharing with other agencies in the county, such as county fire, red flag warnings, things of that nature. So we work collaboratively that way with Twitter. Um, and we use these variety of different platforms to engage the public and reach everybody from um, uh, our, our aging community as well as millennials. So um, uh, we're using a bunch of different uh, uh, ways to engage also with the community using um, uh, bilingual event flyers and calendars. Uh, so we're distributing those to community centers. Um, we also use Marin Community Clinics and Whistle Stop as well. And uh, in regard to visitor services, uh, we're constantly examining ourselves and our programming to improve our offerings to the public. Um, and then we'll go into a few more details in the next coming slides. Um, you know, Kevin had already spoken to our community grant program. Um, we're in our fourth year of our community grant program, but I wanted to kind of touch on it from an equity perspective. Uh, this 
program provides funding. It's got staff support facilities for our groups who are trying to increase health and wellness um, for our underserved user groups in our community. Um, our grant recipients are using Marin County Parks and Open Space District Preserves. Uh, we're trying to expose more visitors uh, that would not normally otherwise have easy access to a park environment. And then our volunteer program. So um, our volunteer program, uh, it engages a broad cross-section of our community partners, and that includes schools, religious organizations, community centers, and local businesses. Uh, our volunteer coordinators, you can see Kirk right here in the photo. He's working on one of our series at Creekside Park. Um, we want to emphasize uh, with our volunteer coordinators, uh, Greg Reza, I should name, as well as Kirk Schroeder, we want to give our volunteers an experience to remember. And um, our efforts helping connect the marine community with parks and open space through education and stewardship efforts. Um, it, we try to collaborate on larger conservation efforts and preservation efforts um, using our organizations that we collaborate with, such as One Tam. And we have, um, yeah, those, those series that I had kind of mentioned, like here, uh, Creekside Habitat Restoration and uh, Habitat Enhancement. Um, so interpretive naturalist events. Um, I'd like to recognize our former open space interpretive naturalist, David Herlocker. Uh, he retired in April of this year. Um, he had many, many years of service, um, and uh, he was a huge part of our public outreach efforts. Photographed here is our interpretive naturalist, Shannon Burke. Um, uh, as mentioned before in some a previous portion of the presentation, her office is now ADA accessible. <laughs> We're hoping to engage the community um, by using it as a classroom and in the future, um, we're kind of in the planning stages of talking about having a community, or I guess I should say teaching habitat sort of garden to bring people in that way as well. Um, our naturalist outings include specific and general topics, including everything from winter water birds. And Roger, you had mentioned uh, the senior stroll series. It's been pretty popular. Um, we also offer family outings. These are intended for families that want to explore nature together, a little bit more informal. Um, the Nature for Kids series has been really, really awesome in us engaging the community through those programs. Um, all right, so uh, ranger events. So um, this one was a really awesome one that Jason did. The Sandcastle event is, uh, was pretty, pretty fun and popular. Um, our event focus areas are you know, on interpretation, recreation. We have sort of seasonal events, such as our graveyard stroll um, uh, during Halloween, of course. Um, uh, and uh, community events. Uh, we offer dozens of events throughout the year. Uh, we include a myriad of free events. Uh, they're easy to sign up for if we do have an RSVP, but most everybody we just try to have just come on down and are welcome. Um, as mentioned before, um, you know, we have our events calendar. We try to you know, promote our website and getting people engaged by you know, getting on our newsletter, getting onto our calendar. Um, and we're sharing those bilingual um, flyers at local community centers and schools to get more people out and engage. Um, for a lot of our events, or I should say all of our events, our entrance fees are way for participants and we're hoping that you know reduces the barriers to visitation. We want people to be included and come out and have a good time. Um, some examples of events that we have are the Learn To series. So we teach people how to skateboard, they can learn how to fish, disc golf, bike ride, skimboard, you name it, um, we're doing it. Campfire series, art in the park series. Uh, we've been doing library lectures. We have a uh, coffee with a ranger series, 
And uh, we want to increase our bilingual offerings as well. Um, uh, one of our rangers uh, uh, has done this walk over uh, the Caminata in Santa Venetia. It's one of our offerings in Spanish, and we'd like to do more of those offerings as well. Um, in this photograph here, uh, I'll just, I want to, you know, I'm going to talk about the open data portal, but I just briefly want to touch on a quick story. Um, this was kind of a collaborative effort. Um, that dog photographed in the photo is uh, Gracie. Um, you also have um, a water district contract deputy, and I don't know if you can see him very well, but one of our open space park rangers, Michael Warner, is over uh, crashing through the brush. Um, uh, you know, Gracie was a uh, was out in Baltimore Canyon. Dog fell off a cliff on a on a very steep part of Southern Marin Line Fire Road. Um, this was just kind of a collaborative effort uh, between, you know, the Marin County Sheriff's Office, uh, Marin County Parks, as well as the Fire Department. Uh, fire Department wasn't able to get the dog with a long line, so uh, these two brave uh, souls went down deep and did a serpentine powder into the canyon. Were able to locate the dog and get safely back to its owner. Um, the open data portal, uh, so you know the, count, the County of Marin, uh, we're providing public access to data on the County of Marin website. You can find um, uh, data sets that are on a dashboard. Uh, I, um, I, I believe if you go to the Maine County website, I don't know if we have a link yet on our website for it, but if you go to the Maine County website, it's pr pretty clearly displayed, or if you're like me, I go onto Google and I type in County of Marin open data portal. Um, and you can find those, uh, that information. Um, this includes all of our ranger uh, reported incidents. So um, if you would like to get that data and that information regarding um, you know, citations, warnings, field interviews, things of that nature, medicals, our incident report data is all online. It's updated on a monthly basis. Um, and we're hoping that this improves transparency uh, within with, with local government to the public. We have a responsibility to the community to provide transparency and uh, we're hoping that people can explore these data sets and uh, you can export it to Excel, you can embed it on your website. It's pretty, um, pretty, pretty cool. Um, and uh, we're exploring more opportunities at this time for engagement using potentially our integrated pest management program, roads and trails, and a few other uh, programs that we do as well. And uh, with that, Thank you so much. Good job. <clears throat> just a comment that um, this is just wonderful work that you're doing, and it enhances the resource so much that um, just it's one thing to have the, the land dedicated and then to actually bring people out and do interpretation. It's something that really stands out, and very few pro public properties have a level of program that, that you folks do, and I, I think that's um, a real testament to the importance of, of Measure A and why it needs to be supported. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Good afternoon. My name is Jim Chake. I'm a superintendent with Marin County Parks. I um, coordinate the county's integrated pest management program. I work with the uh, our, our fire partners on fire fuel reduction projects, and I manage all of the county's community service areas, projects, and budgets. And I built um, today's presentation with Sarah Minnick. She can't be here today because she's at a uh, invasive plant conference, and she uh, is fully committed to this subject and contributed heavily to the presentation. So I want to mention her, and she'll be presenting uh, with the Open Space Council next week. But um, these slides really are going to focus on, under the, you know, the big umbrella of stewardship, a few 
focal areas. One is um, early detection of invasive plants and weed management, uh, looking at restoration. What are our tools and what are we doing about that? Identifying and protecting our rare species and habitat. And then, of course, um, biofuel management and what we're doing to protect our lands and protect communities from the threat of wildfire, which is obviously a huge topic. And even you can smell the smoke in this room today from fires blowing in from other counties. So it's something that we're really focusing on. And you know, what makes Measure A special is not only us being able to take a deep dive into all this work, but it really allows us to kind of be a force multiplier with all the different you know, agencies that we also partner with, ranging from you know, FireSafe Marin, to all the land managers that comprise the One Tam Group, uh, our local nonprofit partners like Conservation Corps North Bay, all these organizations benefit, and we benefit from that partnership through the funds of Measure A. So, starting with uh, early detection and weed management, um, you know, Measure A has really allowed us to spend additional staff time on addressing uh, invasive species like sea lavender, and this is at uh, at Bothine Marsh, and to take the time to explore innovative techniques. Uh, Folks have mentioned the integrated pest management program before, and flaming is a non-chemical solution, but it's one that we've piloted in places like this, where typically we might have crews hand weeding. Um, this doesn't necessarily save time, but in the, under the right circumstances, it can be more effective and more um, uh, less time-consuming. Similarly, uh, you know, we had a, a very successful grant with uh, the Greater Farallons Association at Kent Island. And the focus on this was to address invasive ice plant and European beach grass. And so while the grant uh, funding is now complete, our staff and volunteers continue to do work to make sure that the success of that project mm -hmm. continues. Other areas that we are focusing on, not only identifying the pests, but trying to contain those, those places where we have particularly resilient pests. One of those species is goat grass, which is an A-rated pest. It's located in the Terra Linda Sleepy Hollow area. And we uh, use our own ranger, our, our, our natural resources staff, seasonals, rangers, to do everything from mowing. Um, we've done flaming. There's grazing that's occurred, which I'll talk more about in the, in the past or uh, in the upcoming slides. But um, it requires a lot of time and energy to just contain that pest, let alone eradicate that, although we're moving in that direction. So in terms of you know, containing these invasive plants, we also, once we eradicate those, we want to um, you know, take care of what we have and, and improve and upon that when we can. And one of the strategies that Tara mentioned earlier is that we have this new native plant nursery. And while it's just really early on in terms of that program, um, you know, it's brand new, but already we've hosted 14 volunteer events at that facility that's resulted in 197 volunteer hours, uh, or excuse me, staff hours, person hours, and an additional 46 volunteers uh, engaged through that process to be able to cultivate new plants that we can use on our lands. And one, you know, one, one piece of that was an Eagle Scout project that came in to uh, help us build store, uh, soil storage units and help organize the new space. And um, that was part of the 197 hours that I just mentioned. So you know, among all of, the open, all, you know, all of our lands that we have, there's a lot of rare plants, rare and special plants on all these, in all these areas. And, you know, while before Measure A, we would dedicate some time to this, this has really allowed us to expand the areas that we're monitoring and um, identify, you know, new plants that have never seen before. There's um, 183 rare plant observations just this year, and many were, were known locations that we checked up on, but about 25% of that 183 were areas that had never 
really been monitored before, so it's allowing us to really expand the breadth and sort of the detail um, on how we monitor these areas. And this flower here is the you know, Tiburon mariposa lily, and it's the world-renowned flower that only exists in that one area, and it's something that you know, we take a lot of uh, care to, to steward. Um, some of the areas that we've also been focusing on, focusing on this year is San Pedro Mountain, King Mountain, the Tiburon Uplands, and Deer Island, and some of these areas didn't have prior documentation. So like I said before, we're really aggressively expanding the areas where we monitor and document for, um, for future monitoring as well. So the next set of slides, I wanna really just kinda shift to our fuel break maintenance and fuels management in general and, and spotlight a few special projects that I think are worth mentioning. Um, one of the things about Measure A is that, you know, it's before Measure A we were able to construct fuel breaks and do defensible space, but often wouldn't have the resources to continue to maintain these over time, which is really what's required to keep communities safe from the threat of wildfire. So, you know, one of our strategies in terms of partnerships is working with other land managers who have lands adjacent to ours. This photo shows um, us out on a site with Marin Municipal Water District using a masticator, which is a new tool that, um, you know, definitely speeds up um, the maintenance of some of these areas where we can work together and figure out, um, you know, streamline our strategies, how we're taking care of these places, what our specifications are, and make sure there's uniformity across our lands, across their lands, across the other one TAM partner lands to make sure that, um, you know, we're consistent in terms of addressing ingress, egress, access for firefighters, for trucks in case of a wildfire. This is a photo from uh, Camino Alto. Um, it's a wide area fuel bake, which means that it's sort of managed in a way that plants are still there. It's not this sort of clear cut approach, but it really significantly slows down or stops a wildfire moving through the area. And contractors are a huge part of how we're able to stay on top of all this. You know, although our staff spend, you know, thousands of hours per year doing this, we really do need volunteers and contractors and other, which um, uh, we use Measure A funds for to help us with those efforts. So King Mountain, um, this is a fuel break that was started around 2014 and maybe even before, but this is a photo that um, was from 2014. I just want you to um, take a look at both sides of this fire road. On the left is a stand of acacia. On the right, which isn't fully shown, was an area sim similar to that that was cleared. Um, and then after three years of sort of not being too active there, the acacia started to grow back um, that was a photo from 2017, so here we are on a three-year cycle of having to go back and do the same thing again um, and, you know, uh, work with our staff and contractors to take out the acacia and um, make sure that the fuel threat is reduced there. And so that's something that, you know, with Measure A, we're able to, again, build something, not just approach things kind of from a one-and-done or one-in-a-great-while uh, frequency, but, you know, do it on an annual or every few-year um, uh, basis. and try to reduce you know, the amount of chemicals that we use and really approach it from a, a manual and a sort of IPM standpoint. A huge part of how we do um, fuels management is a very popular uh, strategy that we have is grazing. This is uh, Aaron Gilliam. He's from Sweet, uh, Sweetgrass Grazing. And um, that same area there that I just showed you a second ago for the acacia has also been grazed by goats. So there's been a variety of different techniques that we've used. We've man manual labor, animals, um, 
and you know, one I think that's special about their approach and what we're trying to do together is look at this more of a, a permaculture strategy where we're looking at using animals to knock down the vegetation, but then through their activities, um, you know, improving soil health to hopefully reduce the conditions where in, in, um, invasive species can thrive. So it's a slightly different approach from um, just going in and cutting, but trying to actually improve soil conditions. So that's the sheep grazing, and not to be left out are the goats. So we have goat grazing going on too. And this year was a, a huge partnership um, in the Terra Linda Sleepy Hollow Divide that involved a variety of partners. There was the, uh, the Rock and H Ranch, which is a privately held part property. There's the Triple C Ranch, there's San Domenico, White Hill School, um, and then other uh, partners like the Sleepy Hollow Fire Protection District that we all coordinated with to make sure that when we engaged with this grazer that we could have a strategy and a plan to have the goats sort of passing consecutive th consecutively through pros uh, across lands to have this sort of cohesive and effective fuel break that the goats were able to. Just a quick comment. I, yeah. I have a great Pyramids dog and they've read their herd goats <laughs> and sheep. And when, when she saw the grazing, she was as excited as she could be. She just wanted to get up did, there and. Did she do her part? Did she get in there? Yeah, no. she just wanted to get up there and herd the goats. So nice. There. You could just watch them. Good. Them. So, Tara talked a little bit about the Spiritness project, but I think I'll just take a step back from sort of the art and the, um, the installation aspect of it and talk about some of the strategies that were that made that project possible. We brought in uh, sheep and goat to go in to kind of address the understory um, and some of the sort of ladder fuels that were in that area. And this is what that area looked like prior to that. To allow our nonprofit partners like Conservation Corps North Bay to go in there to harvest the material to then be able to bring to the Civic Center campus to be able to engage uh, the community and the private artists to construct that, um, that structure, that art piece. So it's one of those uh, you know, projects that it just seems like there's a, a long chain of people involved and a, a string of benefits that are associated with it. So you know, a focus on the, the manual non-chemical strategies for fuels reduction, being able to engage with youth development, nonprofit, and then being able to, through those efforts, engage and educate the community about wildfire. Um, it just seemed like a, a, a fully um, comprehensive project in terms of the, the levels of engagement. So another area that I wanted to highlight is the uh, Old St. Hillary's Acacia Removal Project. This is a, a, just another area that, you know, through Measure A, we we're able to um, bring extra staff time and also partner with Marin County Fire. I'm not sure if you've heard of the TAM crew, but the TAM crew is a special crew within Marin County Fire that really just uh, focuses on implementation of fuel breaks and managing these fuel breaks. And so we work closely with them to remove a lot of acacia and protect the homes in this photo from the threat of wildfire by developing a defensible space and a fuel break behind, behind that area. And so, you know, these, these projects, we talk so much about fuels, but really that's not the only objective of these projects. And just like all the ones I talked about today, they're intended to be multi-benefit. So although we're removing fuels to protect the you know, residents from that, we're also trying to uh, protect habitat. And so we want to make sure that you know, we improve habitat for flowers like the Tiburon Jewel flower and um, make sure that 
we, you know, we're thoughtful in our approach so that we can make sure that there's multiple benefits. So here's the old St. Hilary's area. This is a before photo, and I'm just going to flash uh, to and back forward to uh, an after photo just so you can sort of see the work of the TAM crew. But you know, a lot of that acacia was significantly reduced. Do you mean um, other broom, or, or do you mean acacia there? I think it was primarily acacia on this particular project, but Michonne, I think we've done, yeah. So in terms of early detection and dealing with emerging threats and things like that, you know, another thing that we struggle with is, uh, is the implications of sudden oak death, um, which I think by and large we can attribute to, to climate change and to other changing uh, factors in the environment. And so again, in order to be able to address emerging threats, our partnerships are really, really important. Uh, we recently partnered with Novato Fire Department and obtained a $75,000 grant to do fuels reduction in the Pacheco Valley area. And so there's a stakeholder there in the middle together with uh, Lynn Osgood from the fire department in Novato. And also we wanna uh, make sure that we learn as much as possible from catastrophic wildfires so that we're in a better position as land managers to be able to respond to those kinds of emergencies. There was a long process after the North Bay fires called the Lessons Learned uh, Committee and a series of meetings by that group and then a, a debrief and a, a meeting with the community here in this room to talk about what we all can do and make sure that we're all pulling in the same direction with the fire departments and the different land managers. And Measure A is a huge component on how we're able to spend uh, the, you know, the hundreds of thousands of hours and the hundreds of thousands of dollars of Measure A money dedicated to fuels management each year. Another gratuitous uh, partnership shot there. And I'll just leave it with, uh, you know, engaging the community is really important to us. Uh, we spend a lot of time with our staff and volunteers making sure that we're able to kind of communicate the work that we're doing to the community and to um, uh, people around the area. So we want to make sure that we are developing communications materials that capture the important work that I've just discussed, make sure that we're, you know, calculating and quantifying the amount of work that we do and trying to uh, make sure that people are generally aware of all the um, efforts, not just by us, but all of our partners um, for the vegetation management activities that occur here. And that's the end of my presentation. Great job, Jim. Okay. Impressive. All right, thanks. Yeah. So, Veronica and Joe, may, may make a comment? Yeah, oh, please. please, Roger. So, um, Jim, th thank you for that um, presentation and for the work that you're doing. Um, I, I may have heard it incorrectly, but I, I think I, I think I heard you say that the use of goats and other animals to reduce uh, fuel load also improves the soil condition mm -hmm. to discourage um, non-natives. Um, my understanding is that that is, that's the opposite, hmm. but maybe that's an offline dis discussion. But um, I, I think use of animals there are very good for reducing fuel loads uh, on a temporary basis, but whether they increase um, non-natives or not, I think most of the literature seems to suggest that they actually encourage the um, non-natives to come back. So th th that maybe is, is, is an offline discussion. I, th I think it is. I mean, I would disagree with that conclusion. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of research out there that suggests we, that this can be beneficial, but we can. It is by reason of our park district. Yeah. 
failed. If you manage the raising program, your uh, native plants came back much stronger. Uh, that the that without a grazing program, the yeah. the the so, so non the non-native. So th there's a lot of different varieties of grazing for sure. And I think, yeah. Yeah. But, but, Thank you for your question. But the uh, non-native grasses would squeeze out wildflower native yeah. wildflowers, etc. So manage them better would bring them back. But and, there, and, there's and a I think, lot of and research I think on what that. Pat's talking about is use of, of cattle um, in um, non-native grasslands, which is not the same as fuel reduction by, by goats. So I and, and um, so I I, I think. Pat's correct that there is some evidence of the correctness of, of that thing. And, and actually, I've known many of the range managers that work for Pat. But I, th I think it's a different situation yeah. with goats and fuel well, I know reduction. So, that, so that I think that's mm -hmm. an, an offline discussion. It is, but just we are only in uh, year two of a five-year um, partnership with this particular grazer. And it would be great to have you out there. And we can talk to you in more detail about you know the sort of uh, permaculture and soil building um, aspects that, that I mentioned. But, yeah. but just one other note, it's gotta be well managed because right. if it's not managed correctly, all, all the negative things happen. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's touchy. Thank you. Yeah, I had a, also had a quick question. Um, is, so you get lots of groups like volunteers and contractors and our own staff and the Conservation Corps. Um, what about the corrections department? Do they have crews that, I mean, on, when it's not fire season, are there is that a, a resource that you could tap into? It is. Uh, we tend to use uh, the uh, probation workforce here at the Civic Center and kind uh -huh. of some, in some of our parks. I know I've heard about these, uh, like prison crews and stuff. Sure. And pre there's been a lot of activity in other counties, but I don't think we, as a, do you want to go ahead, Max? <laughs> I, I can just say, you know, I think the, you know, the one sort of inmate crew that's worked sometimes in the county has been out of San Quentin. Uh-huh. And I know they've traditionally worked for Caltrans, okay. Um, but that they've had pretty limited availability, um, just because the nature of the facility there. Uh, and otherwise, like the the inmate crews that CDF or Cal Fire uh, utilizes, mm -hmm. um, typically are are not local to this area. So, you know, it hasn't been something that locally we've had access to. I see. Because it seems like that's kind of a seasonal use that on off-season that they might make themselves available. Or, and I think it's a great way to integrate people back into, you know, I know that there's studies that show that the inmates that do that kind of work have a higher, uh, have a lower ascendance uh, rate and things like that. Yeah, one, you know, it, one of the lessons learned when we were doing the lessons learned sort of overview, we met with land managers and fire officials from the North Bay and Cal Fire was present. and. You know, one of the things they're finding is that the fire season goes longer and longer, sure. and Absolutely. almost all year. Here we are so in November, and you're completely yeah. right. Yeah. Is yeah. they used to utilize their crews to yeah. do fuels work in the off season, they barely have an off season anymore. So they're having yeah. to figure out a new strategy and like a you know, a new way to find labor to do this kind of work because it's yeah they just don't have that downtime. Thanks again, Jim. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Veronica Pearson, and um, I have the enjoyment of talking with you today about our sea level rise adaptation projects that we have 
And since the passage of Measure A, there's been a, a number of studies uh, about the impacts of climate change um, in the Bay Area and um, also specifically within our county. And with the funding from Measure A, we've also been able to conduct studies on our lens as well to understand what the um, existing and current and the current and future impacts of sea level rise are going to be on our lands. And, and more specifically, we know that about 8,300 acres of wetlands in the county are going to be impacted by sea level rise with a projection of five feet by 2,100. And of those lands, 1,900 mm -hmm. acres of which are uh, these wetlands are managed by Marin County Parks. So um, to address this pressing need um, to, um, to pre not only um, preserve our lands, but also to um, improve the resiliency of our wetlands, we have um, been working extensively with uh, not only county agencies, but also have been in communication with state and federal agencies, NGOs, and have really been trying to take a collaborative approach to how we plan and implement our projects. And um, we've also um, been reaching out to um, the universities and research institutes as well to uh, participate in our planning process with us and to come aboard early in the stages of planning development so that we can um, be at the forefront of science and be implementing projects that are um, um, that are based on what we're learning um, now uh, with other projects that are being implemented around the state that are um, of similar um, nature to uh, what we have, um, what we have, fa we're facing with our, our parks and preserves. So um, this is just a map of the four projects that I'm gonna talk to you briefly about today in starting from the north uh, we have McGinnis Marsh, which is in design right now and is going to utilize um, primarily ecotone levees. And, and each of these projects, I should say first, has a, a different purpose and design approach. And this is all based on um, the different studies that have been done and uh, an understanding of the unique physical characteristics of these locations, as well as the, the evolutionary history of them um, and the surrounding environment. So. Uh, there's McGinnis Marsh, or excuse me, um, there's McGinnis Marsh to the north, and then there's Rambaru Island, which was um, is is located just off of Strawberry Spit, and and then to the south of that there's Bothine Marsh, which is located between Mill Valley and Sausalito, and then over on the uh, West Marin we have Bolinas Lagoon with the North End project. So Arambaru Island was actually constructed in, 19, excuse me, in 2011, and prior to uh, the implementation of um, soft shoreline erosion protection in the form of 